Welcome to Drinking Up, a spirited discussion about beer, wine, and booze. Here are your hosts, Shelly, Mary, and Lily. Hello, everyone. This is Drinking Up. My name is Shelly, and I am the beer enthusiast of the group. My history with beer starts probably about four years ago when a friend and I formed a group called Los Angeles Lady Beer Enthusiasts or LA Lady Beer, it is on Facebook. And my two co-hosts are actually members of that group. Guilty as charged uh, upon occasion. <laughs> upon occasion. So hey everyone, uh, my name is Mary. I'm the resident wino of the group. I'm the wine enthusiast. Uh, I grew up in wine country and that is pretty much my uh, only credential there, uh, but I just really enjoy wine and learning about it. Hello, hello. I am Lily, and I am the resident cocktail and spirits enthusiast. And I personally believe that life is too short for bad booze. Amen. Sister. Yeah, you got it. You got it there. We all agree with you there, mm-hmm. which is why we're here. <laughs> and why we're here to hopefully uh, impart whatever wisdom we have to you so that uh, you all can drink the best you can in the short time we have on this earth. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> and also just to demystify the aesthetic of, of spirits and all that that entails, especially considering it is it is a boy's game. We are a feminist perspective for sure. Yes. For sure. So we want to make women and those who identify as such a lot more comfortable with ordering something at a bar without feeling that they have to subject themselves to anything and just to enjoy what they're drinking rather than to, hey, so-and-so is drinking this, so I'm going to drink it too, and you might not like it. Just to have a little arsenal to know what you're, you're drinking and to enjoy it. And that's why we're here. Sometime I'm going to have to tell you about the time Dennis Rodman bought me a drink at a drag club. <laughs> oh, no! What? I need to know that story <laughs> now. You Are you kidding just, me? You can't just drop that Yeah, in that, you can't just drop that nugget and then just not share with anyone. No. See, this is why you got to tune in. All right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So tune in and eventually... In some episode, Lily is going to share this story. So you're just going to have to listen to every single one of All of them. And feel free to drink along because our plan is we do want to make sure that we're kind of posting more of what we're drinking in advance. So you can check our Instagram. You will find all the links to what we're discussing in our show notes. And our website is drinkingup.com. Okay, so today we're talking about how to taste, right? Mm -hmm. Good taste. Good, do we, do good we have good taste? Basic tastes. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, we're basic bitches? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for, well, for a lot of our feminist show, good job. Lily. Right out of the gate. Sorry. <laughs> no disparagement to, you know no, what? No, 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 no. You do you. You do you. You love Well, I mean, you, for the basics you. of what we're doing in this inaugural episode, yeah. we're talking about how to taste what you're drinking. That's true. How so, do we approach this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And how do you how do you come up with the words to describe what you're tasting? Because obviously we all taste things, but but we're but we sometimes struggle with explaining what it is that we're mm-hmm. tasting. Use yeah. your words. Use your words. <laughs> use your I words. find I use words that then I have to define to other people because yes. they mean something to me. But then I don't know because I'm I'm not an expert in wine, so right. I'm I'm not as much of an enthusiast as you are, Mary. And so I find sometimes that I might say, "Oh, this is 
you know, such and so. And me folks are like, what nutty. does that mean? You're me the early yeah. or whatever verb. Or, or there, you there's mean. an alcohol burn to it, mm-hmm. for example. Fine. Um, Fine. Point me out like that. Okay. No, 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 no. I have that. I do that for sure. Like, especially with spirits. Like, that's 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 something that for me. I mean, you just like, taste rubbing alcohol? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> yeah. It happens. And, and so finding finding the, the, you know, attuning our brains to what these are because that's really what it is is that it, it's you know your taste buds are, are just their their nerve endings mm-hmm. and so it's just getting your brain to understand so this is educational is. it is we're actually helping our little gray cells here by <laughs> expanding our knowledge that's right which we're then going we're to, then to destroy by, by then drinking <laughs> i mean it's a catch 22 in that respect yeah so let's get going Shelly, you're, you're shaking that beer. Should I you am shaking, shaking that beer. beer. There, there's a reason why I'm shaking this why beer. Why are you shaking that beer? I'm I'm holding a Guinness in a can that is on nitro. It's a stout. It's an Irish stout as opposed to an imperial stout or, or a different kind of stout, which is a lot more aggressive and a lot more biting. But this stout is also on nitro, which means the gas that is used to pour this through a tap is um, nitrogen as opposed to CO2. The bubbles are smaller. It creates a more velvety mouthfeel, which is how it feels when it rides on your tongue when you drink it. And it creates a head on the beer, which is a very, very dense, very sort of dark head in comparison to the beer. But the beauty about drinking a, a Guinness on, on nitro in a, in a can is you the way you get to watch it when you pour it in a glass. Mm. When you pour it in a glass... Um, it, you have to quote unquote pour hard, which means you just basically tip the beer at a complete 180 and just let it drain out of the glass by itself. Hmm. So that's why this hasn't been opened yet and why I have it here in front of our microphones. So Ooh, listen to this. Magic. Whoa. That's supposed to happen. Ooh. So you oh, pour that. Pretty... Now watch the beer as it starts to okay. settle. You'll see a rolling happening. Um, places that I've gone, they call that cooking. Huh. Is that what's called? Cook. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's that's fun. Well, at least and that's what the it was glass, there. Where the other glasses? Oh. <laughs> Keep watching. See that? Okay. Hurry, hurry. I don't have the other glass. I don't have the other glass. <laughs> there we go. So you'll huh. see the rolling uh, when the head starts to separate. That means you've done it successfully. And you'll, don't drink it yet. I'm not drinking it. I'm just yeah, smelling it. Cook. Yeah, let it keep rolling. And then you'll see it start to level out. And that's how you know you've poured a really good nitro. Nice. And so there's like three different levels in yeah, there. Like that's, that rolling yeah, is yeah, going to yeah. start. Um, so it'll it'll level out. and Give it, yeah. a, give it a moment. And your the head on the beer will be... Probably like a quarter of an inch, half an inch. Hmm. And you, it'll be nice and dense. And then you can drink it. Now you can drink it. Now we can drink it. Now you can drink it. Cheers. Slancha, right? Slancha, because it's Irish. Forget you're gonna say that. Yeah, if you really let it settle, all of the bubbles in the head will, well, most of them will disappear. Yeah. The ones that are left behind, they're called frog's eyes, and it's considered an imperfect pour. Are you telling me that I did an imperfect pour? No, because these still haven't cleared yet. I'm letting, trying to make that. Yeah, because, like, if I seriously just leave, if I don't touch this at all and leave it for probably another 30 seconds or so, 
almost all of those bubbles, if not all of them, will clear. From a can, though? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's very good. That's nice. That's, yeah. That's a... very, this, I mean, it's very, it's very nice. It's very dense. It's very dark. I'm trying to figure out, like, there's, like, a cocoa, chocolatey kind of thing going on. which you get with a lot of just stouts in general. I find you get them a little more with oatmeal stouts because it's just, it's a mellower type of flavor. And I appreciate that a little bit more. I tend to seek out oatmeal stouts. Hmm. A lot of people think they're boring. I've had people, oh, it's not as good as like an Imperial or something like that. And then I'm like, well, Imperial has a higher ABV, so you're getting a lot more booziness on top of Oh, that. the ABV on Guinness is ridiculously low. It's yeah, it's, it's like about the same a as a light beer. I think it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit. So it doesn't matter then, because I've 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 always thought that that it was that the lighter the beer, the the less alcohol. But you're saying that's not, not true. All. Not, not that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I've had some dark beers that have been. I think the lowest dark beer I had was a three five, and I'm like, What's see how the tiny point? those bubbles are now. And I again, yeah, if I had just stuff. if I had if I still just sit, those will be gone, and then it'll be just this thick layer of cream right on the top. Hmm. So yeah, I didn't know that that could happen with a can. Yeah, it's sure interesting. Can. Mm-hmm. So what is then you said so so Guinness you said has has kind of perfected the technology of putting They've nitro into it. a can. They patented yeah, it. Yeah, it's their it's, it's pretty much their technology. So so then does that mean that other canned beers that you get aren't going to be as smooth or as fresh or what does that mean? Well, I mean, it's it's when when you when I clinked it in front of the the mic, mm-hmm. there like is a like a dongle or yeah, like widget. a widget type of thing in there which activates a, a I don't know the science behind it all, but that's why they've patented. That's why they know what it is. It activates to 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 either like a nitro thing in there or something and it pours the beer differently. That's why you have to physically pour it differently than you do a normal beer to make and you have to pour it quickly the the, quote hard pour Mm -hmm. you just let it drain out and you get the rolling effect and that's the nitro nitrogen Hmm. acting in the beer interesting yeah it's i I, so if you seek them out i seek out um nitro beers and cans they aren't as dense as you can get them on tap and that's just kind of obvious but for a guinness the price point it is like you get four pint four pint you know, cans for like and those 10 are imperial bucks. pint too, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. sixteen ounces yeah. for ten dollars, twelve dollars. I've seen it sometimes, especially in um, February, March, because the holiday coming up uh, for St. Pat's, they'll have a, a four pack of Guinness at Trader Joe's for like six bucks. What? Yeah. Yeah. I've never. Wow, yeah. I've never seen it that low. That's impressive. Yeah. But it's just a really. It's a very. <clears throat> Thick, dense mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is they did go away. Mm-hmm. Look, oh, at that. Look at that. Yeah, no, we're, we're talking bubbles again. No bubbles on the top. Mm-hmm. So for those of you something. at home, you just have to like pour yourself a Guinness and and come back and listen to this again, and then you'll see what we're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> but I like to compare a beer. I seek out beers on nitro when I go to tap rooms because I like to, or if they have them on CO2 as well, your standard beer is going to be on CO2. That's what pushes the beer out and you get your glass and you enjoy your beer. But when it's on nitro, it's always a slower, it takes a little longer to pour, but I like to compare the same beer poured over each. So how do you know then which one they have? 
They'll tell you. They'll They'll tell tell you, but if you look at their tap, if you look at their tap on the back of the, um, at the bar, the nitro taps always have usually a longer spigot Hmm. and they always physically look different and they'll always be located at one end or the other. They won't be mixed in because the nitrogen is a different gas that they have to use to, to press the beer out. Well, it's also, it's also kind of a trend as well. Oh, beers on nitrogen in fact coffee you can even get coffee on nitrogen coffee. so a lot of places they will it will be part of their marketing part of the advertising is to say hey we've got such and so on nitro but certain breweries will also have the same beer you can get on one CO2. on co2 yeah. and on nitro and yeah. it's fun to compare them yeah. yeah because i think we'll do that in the future to see if we can get one in a can on nitro and one in a can in co2 yeah yeah because the flavor profiles can be very different mouthfeel for me mm-hmm. it's almost an entirely different mouthfeel the velvetiness of an of a nitro beer is really no, and awesome. I can tell. I mean, you know, I coming from the Irish persuasion, uh, I, I <laughs> have my Guinness uh, on Pat, St. Patrick's Day and and other ethnic kinds of holidays with my people, and yeah, this this is definitely much smoother and than than what I'm used to. Like this does taste more like the Guinness that I had in Ireland. Mm-hmm. At the, at the pub downstairs or whatever, where it was very fresh, came from down the street. Um, so this is good. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun little little experiment. I mean, I think now you can only get Guinness on Nitro. I don't know. The bottles, I don't think, have the widgets in them anymore. Okay. Um, so you bottle is CO2. The cans so. are all Nitro. I, I think so. Yeah. We're just waiting for corrections to come around. Yeah, oh, I'm sure so there will get... be. I'm sure there will be a like a, just a tsunami of of corrections. Of corrections. So I so I assume you can get the cans pretty much anywhere. Oh, the can you can get at the convenience store, yeah. to Trader Joe's, to whatever grocery yeah. store. Yeah. You as long as you're not in a dry county, it's just about yeah. everywhere. <laughs> They're yes. everywhere. Which I, I that's why I brought it in. It's a very inexpensive beer. It's a very high tech beer, considering that it's on nitro. And it has a really lovely mouthfeel. It's very smooth and creamy. It's not sweet because it is it's roasty. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It is an Irish stout, so it's going to be a lot more mellow than a lot of other kinds of stouts that you're you're going to drink. And if you're into darker beers, which that's my wheelhouse, that's what I love. Um, this is a pretty tame for me for what I normally go for. Mm-hmm. But if you're into dark beers, one hundred and one Guinness is as easy a stepping stone as you're ever going to find to get into darker beers because you'll start to see the profiles in this one you'll start to taste it and appreciate it and you'll want to keep pushing yourself and that's why that's why I picked this one this time because I think that everyone underestimates Guinness as far oh you can get that for two dollars a pint at such and such brewery on you know St. Patrick's Day it's Mm -hmm. like no they've been around for the the, the, the can says 1759 so they know what they're doing and it is a standard and you might not like everything about it and that's perfectly fine but you have to appreciate the standard so I remember I when I when I first started getting more interested in um, the nuances of beer and when I started drinking Guinness how there were so many people who don't really know beer but would just be immediately turned off because of the color they're like oh it's just so dark how can really? you drink something so dark mm-hmm. but I think it was because they hadn't really given it a shot they hadn't mm-hmm. really tried it they just looked saw dark beer and immediately assumed bold in your face almost like an imperial because an imperial can be really in your face mm-hmm. but Guinness is one of in my opinion one of the most accessible 
drinkable beers because the low alcohol content, you can drink uh, an Imperial pint and not feel like you're getting, you know, your head up and in the clouds. And by an Imperial pint, you mean 16 ounces. Correct. Sorry. Okay. Yes, that is correct. Um, yeah. Love Guinness. It's lovely. It's cheers, everybody. Cheers. So, Mary. So, it's me. Tell us about this wine. It's wine time. It's wine time. I'm very excited. <laughs> Every time is wine time in my world, though. So, this is one of my favorite red blends. This is the 2016 Le Petit Pup from Le Petit Paisan Winery in Monterey County, California. That sounds very fancy, but it's actually just my hometown winery. Okay. <laughs> so, don't, so don't, don't stress. It's, it's actually a very cool new winery. Uh, reviewers are just going bananas over them, um, and I actually really, really love what they're all about. Uh, so their whole thing is proving that it's possible to make good quality wine using sustainable methods and also just keeping the price point reasonable. And So by reasonable, this is about a $20, $25 bottle of wine. Uh, so it's going to be one for nice dinner, but hopefully it's not going to make you go broke. Mm-hmm. Probably not everyday wine, but, but certainly you know, once a week kind of wine. So let's talk about what's in this bottle. Uh, it's called Le Petit Pup because it's in the style of wines made in the Chateau Neuf de Pap region of France, which sounds very fancy. Uh, but this is a blend of 62% Grenache, 19% Syrah, 14% Mourverde, and then the rest a couple of more obscure French grapes called Cunoise and Cinso. And I know, Shelley, you've said that you want me to talk all about pronouncing all the different types of wine. Did I? Yes, you did at one point. You said, I, we, okay. I think we were drunk at the time. But you said you wanted me, Sounds you said, you, said yeah. you need to explain how you pronounce all of these things. And, you know, all of my French lessons in high school came in very <laughs> handy for that. But, and we'll absolutely go over it. But for now, uh, we're just going to talk about tasting this wine. Okay. So I brought this because it's different. This isn't the most popular grapes that people are often familiar with. And so right there, it's going to make your brain do some work to try and figure out what it is that you're tasting. Uh, And uh, so for me, I love this wine because it's kind of like a whole journey through the taste buds. So everybody, we've all got our big bougie wine glasses uh, here. They're super bougie. These are about as big as as our heads, I think. Um, And for those of you at home, you don't need these to enjoy wine. Um, but it does help if you're doing a tasting like we're doing to really capture all of the nuances. So since we're doing a tasting, we're going to use these. Um, the first thing that uh, everybody will notice here is that is that I already poured this wine out and it's been sitting for a bit. Uh, and that's because red wines generally get better if they're allowed to breathe or aerate. Okay. And so all that means is that oxygen is coming into contact with the molecules of the wine, and it's allowing them to open up and give off more aroma and flavor. So it's all it's all this chemistry stuff that happens here. Um, and, and so that's like you'll see if you go to wine tasting, you'll see people kind of swirling their wine around like mad. They're trying to get more air into it. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, there's all sorts of like weird wine gadgets out there that some people have for aerating. They'll use decanters. Just pour it out and let it sit for a little bit, especially if it's if it's a red. Um, you know, you want to serve it at about room temperature anyway, so just be patient, and uh, it works. Uh, so before we take a sip, let's talk about how you taste wine. Yes. So again, people have all sorts of strange rituals. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Some people do like the like slurping thing. Like some people do this like weird like sort of like snuffling thing. Like it just so unnecessary and it doesn't make you look cool. Like so if you're sitting there with your like, you know, awesome red wine, you want to look cool, right? Like so and I know I'm, we're going to get letters about this. Like people are going to complain, but I I think you don't need to do all that stuff. Just 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 be zen and slow down and think about it. So with that, uh, so we'll give it a little swirl just uh, to get the to get that um, flavor going. Mm-hmm. And before you sip, just put your face in it and give it a little sniff. Doesn't have to be big. And so what what kinds of things are you smelling? So a lot of our taste comes from what we're smelling. So that's where you want to think about what you're smelling before you sip. I smell sharpness. The sharpness to it? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's, so there's no wrong answer because everybody's okay. brains are different. And so, uh, you know, it's like, it's like some people, myself included, think that cilantro tastes like soap. <gasps> so, I'm sorry. I know, it's sad. It's really sad. Cilantro is magic. I know. But that's, but that's where, like, you get, you know, with tasting things, it's so personal because it's, it's how chemistry works and it's how your brain works. Right. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's, no, there's no right or wrong answer. It's like a heavy berry. Um, mm-hmm. Berry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, stone fruit almost. I'm getting stone fruit. Like some plum kind of mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I definitely get all of that. But there's a, like a, I want to say a burning in my nose, just a slight, just sort of. I take. I guess that's where I get the descriptive sharpness from. Hmm. So okay. No, that's interesting. Like I said, there's no, there's no right wrong. It's like, I'm getting high from smelling these, so we should definitely take a sip. <laughs> uh, so just nice slow sip, and again, just let it linger and actually think about what it is that you're tasting, and think about as it moves through the front and the middle and the back of your taste buds. I want to give a quick sort of footnote. Always smell your booze or whatever you're drinking before you drink it because it is going to taste complete. It's going to smell completely different or not smell at all after you've tasted it. Mm-hmm. So just all, whether it be beer or wine or anything, give it a quick little sniff so that you're like, oh, it, there's interesting dimension. A friend of mine's a sommelier and he says when you smell wine, uh, you should keep your mouth slightly open as well because oh, believe really? it or not, the way it causes you to bring in the um you know the odor the odor molecules i guess you 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 Mm -hmm. pick them up in a slightly different way not that you should you know be slack jawed and with your you know with your mouth (laughs) wide open but just just a slight openness to the mouth apparently that was just a suggestion he made but no and that's a good one i guess everybody's gonna try it their own way that's (laughs) a good one thing yeah (laughs) right you don't don't need to do that (laughs) i can't like oh it's insane when people do that so so what are we getting, ladies? A little mealiness, which I pick up on because I love that in wine. Just a tiny little grainy hmm. type of yeah, there's a dryness on my tongue. Mm-hmm. It's very dry. It's very, it's a very acidic wine. I've heard that called muscatel and tea at least. Called? Yeah, okay. they. Um, I used to have a business where uh, I would do tea events and such. And so I, I had to get educated in tea leaves and the processing of tea. And it's really interesting how that compares to a lot of of uh, spirits and and distills and and fermented beverages and such. 
And yeah, the, the term for that kind of puckeriness that you get, I, I think is called mu- uh, muscatel. Mm-hmm. And cool. I don't know if it comes from the yeast on the grape skin, but I've heard that. I could be wrong. If you know, send us a letter. <laughs> so I'm sure we wrong. will get a lot of letters telling <laughs> we'll us how wrong letters. we are letters. about everything we're doing and, this and is how, how right like, we are. This is how like old school we are. That we're like talking about like letters. Like we're so retro. <laughs> we're like, we're going to get letters. No, well, we're not. not. We're going to get tweets. We're, we're gonna there's get... three vintage girls here. So yeah, it's all going to be, it's all going to be. Send, send us, us a telegram. Send us an electronic <laughs> post. Of, yeah. So I like that. I get, um, so definitely the plum, the, the, the stone fruit that, that Lily was talking about. Uh, you, I taste it as plum. You might taste it. There's a little nectarine in there for me. I also uh, find this is really interesting because I get tomato in there at the end. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's one that you just definitely can sip at for a long time and 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 chill out and and actually zone in on what it is that you're tasting. It's a fun one for that. Hmm. I like how it's it's. I for since I am not the hugest wine drinker, although I want to be, which is why we're here. What I pick up on immediately is sort of that mealiness, that graininess mm-hmm. that you were talking about. And I, I like that. Uh, I don't like a smooth, syrupy type of wine, which is why I tend to avoid white wines. Mm-hmm. I like a little bite, a little fight with, with my flavors. Mm-hmm. And I taste that above everything else. So what else am I supposed to be looking for when I'm tasting something like this? Um, so... I think what you're getting is kind of the the middle or the, the back of your taste buds. Okay. So maybe focus a little bit more on what's happening at the very front and see if you're getting some more of the sweetness. Is that where the taste But I don't know where the sweet I should actually, like, look that up and study that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking nonsense. Send us letters. <laughs> All I know is that that's what I usually get first is the sweet, and then I'll get maybe a, a peppery thing going on in the middle, and then it sort of settles into these sort of base notes almost for me. I mean, as, as, a, as a juvenile wine drinker, if I were to experience this with what you've just said, I taste sort of a dryness on the front. Mm-hmm. and a tiny bit of fruit in the middle with a very evaporated finish. I don't really taste much on the finish. Mm. Interesting. So. See, I get uh, on the front actually a little bit of like like berry, like raspberry okay. or strawberry. Yeah. yeah, I don't get that. So and then, no, I'm, that's I'm why a we're freak. Here. I'm a leper. No, no, no. That's why we're here is because like, like with, with beer – my taste buds aren't attuned to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're going to pick up flavors that yeah. somebody who isn't as experienced with beer is not going to pick up right away. That's why Practice we're perfect. here. Exactly. Yes. And that's why we're learning from each other. And, yeah. You know, hopefully people at home are learning from the nonsense that we're talking here as we get drunk. <laughs> yeah, I know. As, as the booze start. So what's the alcohol of this? Because a lot of people, although I I, I've heard that wines tend to average about... 12 to 14 percent alcohol mm-hmm. by vo- not abv is what's calculated with beers i think it's a different yeah. threshold but usually it's about 12 percent, and then you get your spirits which average around 40, 40 to 60 usually, yeah. right so um i don't actually know that because i don't really pay attention to that because, <laughs> because it's wine you yeah. know like most that's the best the general it's rule wine. of thumb i mean the general rule of thumb is that is that whites have less 
than reds and that the stronger the wine is, Mm -hmm. the bolder it is, the more alcohol it's got. Right. Um, But, you know, so if you, if, I mean, champagne, the the sparkly whites being kind of the the least amount of alcohol, usually, Mm -hmm. uh, up to those really strong, bold, like, uh, big reds, as they call right. them. Well, and even is it, I think port is even largely considered a, a wine in yeah. many respects and as well, and that's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that, that for me, I don't really pay attention to that because it's a, it's a, it's a wine, and it's all kind of in the same range. Okay. So if I'm gonna say I want a little bit less alcohol, then I'll just go for a white, or or a gotcha. champagne. Uh, if if but uh, but I don't really care too much because it's not it's not a huge it's not as big of a, of a range as you get with beers okay okay because i know in like in beer since that's what we've covered so far uh people who who drink a lot of beer tend to gauge what am i in the mood for right now i think i'm going to do maybe between a five and a seven abv mm-hmm. so that i can pace myself as because beers tend to max out at about 12 or 13 abv and when you're getting eight ounces of that, as opposed to maybe four ounces of a wine, maybe five ounces of a wine, you have to pace yourself because then you're on par with wine. And wine mm-hmm. obviously has way more alcohol in it than, than mm-hmm. beer does, but you drink more beer volume-wise. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was trying to equate this in sort of beer logic as as far as trying to know that. Yeah, the, the whole idea, I think, of pacing yourself, like it's not really something that I've experienced in, in wine culture, like unless you're going wine tasting. Okay. Uh, in which case, you know, yeah, you're going to get pretty sloshed. But I think that, that in general, you're having wine with, with dinner mm-hmm. and, and you have a glass or two, hopefully. That's what you're doing. Um, maybe splitting a bottle among your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that, that people really go for a whole afternoon of drinking wine. As a, as a thing again that's cute you, you should meet some of my other friends. <laughs> I probably should meet some of your friends I probably we've made should. day drinking a sport day drinking. it is a sport it has to be it's a beautiful beautiful thing it is a beautiful thing all right well this thank was really you. lovely this was really yes. lovely yeah I like this one a lot this I like this one really a lot. really and, nice and even though it's a smaller winery uh that's based in California it is possible to get it uh just online you can find it lots of different places um, uh, shout out actually to Blue Apron. They use some of their wines. They send really? some of their wines as the wine in the box. So, huh. uh, which I applaud that they're finding smaller wineries uh, for that kind of thing. So there you go. Awesome. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. So I'm Lily, and we are going to talk about how to taste spirits and booze. In this case, we're going to start off using vodka, but the uh, same principles apply whether you're tasting vodka, whether you're tasting whiskey, whether you're tasting gin. Um, It's a lot of similar uh, information from what we got from Mary, but when it comes to tasting spirits, I always like to taste at least two spirits so that there's a comparison. I find that when you're able to taste one and then almost immediately go to another, that's when you're able to notice the nuance and notice certain things being brought about that maybe you wouldn't have picked up on if you just said, hey, I just want to try this whiskey or this vodka. So we've got two different types of vodka that we're going to try. And when tasting a spirit like vodka, Um, You want to actually room temperature 
Uh, anyone who loves to drink vodka on the regular probably is used to having it um, near frozen. A lot of people will keep their bottle of vodka in the freezer because it's alcohol. It's not going to freeze, but it's going to be nice and cold, which is great because the simple act of decreasing the temperature like that actually helps to mask some of the impurities. But since we're tasting, we want to not give the alcohol any additional advantages. If there is an impurity, we want to be able to, t to taste it this time around. So ladies, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the first thing that I've poured is a vodka that you can pick up at Trader Joe's. It's called Vodka Monopolova. Vodka Monopola. Monopolova. Vodka. In case anyone wanted to know our, our behind the scenes ladies, Bernadette, and she is our vodka expert, I would imagine, purely genetically. Just it's, in, it's in your DNA. It's in your soul. It's in your soul. It's vodka in your soul. Isn't that Russian? <laughs> I don't know. The same. Does, at, at this point in our drinking adventure, I don't think it matters. All right. So go ahead and, and grab that and give it a little taste. Now, when you want to smell it first, same with the, the wine, uh, it is going to have probably more of a, uh, a boozy smell as opposed to an actual aroma or a scent. You're just going to kind of get that smell of, wow, there's alcohol here. There's a lot of alcohol. Yes, there. there is. And you're going to want to sip. Now, when you sip, just bring in a tiny bit of the vodka and a lot of air. So almost kind of slightly slurp it just a little bit. And mm. you want to keep it in your mouth, on your tongue, for ideally five to ten seconds, if not longer. Okay, hmm. so you've tasted that. Now I want you to quickly move on to the Kettle One. The Kettle One. This is Kettle One. So I want you to give this a try. Hmm. Now, are you noticing a difference right away? Oh, yes. yeah. This is why you want to taste at least two spirits, because that's what's going to really be able to show you, oh, yeah, these are different. If you had just tasted one vodka and then an hour or so later we tasted another vodka, there's going to be some things that you might pick up on and remember as, oh, I thought that other one was a little sweeter. Or, oh, I thought that one had kind of almost a black pepper mm -hmm. taste to it or whatever. It's when you get that back-to-back -back that you're starting to notice. So tell me, what are some of the things you're picking up on? The first one tastes a little more floral. Okay. Then the second one tastes a little cleaner as far as neutral mm -hmm. than the first one to me. Mm -hmm. For me, the first one really was, as the wine drinker, I'm just going to say, it was, it was kind of rubbing alcohol to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the second one is nice and smooth, and I'm not mm -hmm. getting the burn. And so because I'm not getting that burn, I can actually taste a flavor. Okay. Do you try the first one again? Let me try the first one. Yeah, yeah bounce back and okay, forth yeah, a little yeah, bit. Try, try the yeah, first one over the second one again. Mm -hmm. this, no, that's the first one. That's the first one. Mm -hmm. That's the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Now I'm getting more of an herbal from it. Yeah, yeah. That's really Yeah, it's no, when it's you bounce magic. it back yeah. and forth a bit that you start to notice things like, oh, that's funny. I would have thought that this one was sweeter, but now that I'm tasting this one right away, I'd have to say that one is a little sweeter or mm -hmm. vice versa. Now, the interesting thing, the price points between these bottles, the first one that we tried, um, I picked this up at Trader mm -hmm. Joe's for $11 for a 750 milliliter bottle. Um 
that's that's a pretty good price for a pretty decent vodka that you're just going to be mostly mixing probably you can sip this one by itself because especially when it's chilled it's going to taste even better and it does it has some nice floral notes to it it's it's very clean the kettle one is a bottle that you're typically going to find like at trader joe's i want to say it was 24 dollars for a 750 mil um other places it might be a little bit more um but kettle one is one of the higher rated vodkas this day and age um we could probably get into the whole, well, the first one is more from a Polish tradition, even though it's distilled in Austria, and the second one is more of a Dutch tradition. But really, when it boils down to it, for the United States to declare something vodka, it pretty much has to be a neutral tasting spirit that is distilled and filtered, usually charcoal filtered, in such a way as to not produce strong flavors or aromas. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the things about vodka is it's not meant to have a whole heck of a lot of nuance in the sense of not nuance it's not meant to have a whole heck of a lot of flavor um, granted we do see on the market a lot of vodkas that are marketed because you know it might be a citron type vodka or you know a fruity vodka or even god forbid a birthday cake vodka um, <laughs> those while they do start with vodka as the base really the the better term would probably be more of a flavored spirit because, yes, they did start with a distillate. Yes, they, they um, you know, it was a quote-unquote vodka at one point in time. Um, <clears throat> but when, when you start adding flavors, that, that's really when you're moving away from vodka. Because vodka is not supposed to have that sort of additive sort of element to it. Um, interesting fact about vodka. You can do something like take a nice $10 bottle of vodka and if you have a filtration system at home, like a Brita pitcher, um, and Brita, we are looking for sponsors, you can take your vodka and put it through the filtration system a couple of times, and it will actually improve it. Huh. Because that is that is one of the interesting elements about vodka, is it is, um, in fact, I've got the U.S. regulations, what is referred to as vodka, uh, pursuant to the Code of Federal Regula Regulations, 27 CFR 5.22, defining the standards of identity for various alcohols, vodka is in the class of neutral spirits and is defined as follows. Neutral spirits so distilled or so treated after distillation with charcoal or other materials as to be without distinctive character, aroma, taste, or color. Hmm. So it's supposed to be blank. It is supposed to be blank. It is a canvas upon which you can build other things. As such, to be brutally honest, it is not my favorite spirit. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reason why is because when vodka is done well, you're not really supposed to taste a whole heck of a lot of anything. Mm -hmm. Here, because that's all we're tasting, we are tasting room temperature vodka and we are comparing the two, we are picking up on nuance. We are picking up on subtleties. Oh, this one maybe has more of a bell pepper element to it. This one maybe feels a little bit silkier on the mouth. Um, but overall, vodka is really not supposed to assert itself. Whereas other alcohols certainly are. Gin's going to assert itself. Mm -hmm. Whiskey's going to assert itself. Scotch is going to assert itself. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the beast with those particular type of, of uh, distills. Vodka is supposed to be more like the, the one in the background. Um, and in fact, it really wasn't a very popular spirit in the United States until um, the Moscow Mule is what really made vodka mm -hmm. very popular that's what i was thinking the um, first thing yeah. i thought of it was with that is the yeah. Moscow mule. yeah yeah um but i thought this would be a really good place to start 
because right. we can then build from this. We're, we're building a foundation right. on our palate. And if we can kind of start getting used to, okay, so this is how I taste something and this is what I'm looking for and being able to do that back to back, you're starting to pick up on things. Mm-hmm. Um, we can then build from there. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, going back and forth, it, it is. It's like, again, my taste buds are kind of settling down mm-hmm. and, and saying, whoa, what is this? And, yeah. and my brain is turning on and yeah. figuring out what it is that I'm actually tasting. And I am able to taste the difference now. And you're right. The second one is very much, I, w- I wouldn't say floral. I would say more fruity. Fruity. Okay, getting. sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But the first one is definitely there's an herbalness mm-hmm. to it. And admittedly, for an $11 bottle of vodka, it's solid. Oh, Yeah. It's solid. So, I mean, other than the flavor profile, mm-hmm. what sort of, what am I supposed to be getting from vodka? Drunk. No. Um. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes. Like, I thought you were serious. And I'm like, yeah, okay. No, I, I, I joke. I Do joke. Do you really? Do I you? joke. I mean, well, it is, it is, though, one of the things that, that y- you know, that young people should we say, you know, when they go to the bar, it's like, that's, give me, give me the vodka with, Mm -hmm. with whatever mixed in. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably because as you said, it doesn't have a, right. It doesn't assert itself. Yeah. It really doesn't. And so that's the, that is the big advantage to vodka is that, um, you know, later on when we talk about ways to use vodka other than cleaning or in pie crust I, I honestly use very cheap vodka to do my cleaning of my house and it works great as a disinfectant well if you want what you could do is take some of that very cheap vodka and set it aside and pour it through a, a filtration system a few times mm-hmm. and then compare it to the very cheap vodka and and tell me do you think it improved it okay hmm. That might be yeah. an experiment that I do. That's a fun thing to do. Huh. Um, I, even though I said vodka is not my favorite spirit, you will pretty much always find a bottle of it in my freezer. And the main reason for that is that it is the best thing for pie crusts. Yes, I know we're talking about drinking, but uh, when you get into the science of making the best flaky pie crust, the, the key is that you want the fat, whether it's butter or in my case, vegan butter, mm-hmm. you want to keep it as cold as you possibly can. So usually when you're making your pie crust, you're adding ice cold water. Well, what is even colder than ice cold water? Vodka from the freezer. So um, there's almost always vodka in my freezer for that. Plus, it's great for getting out set in uh, pressings. So if I'm taking down a hem in a skirt and it's got that hem that had been pressed in forever, spray bottle with vodka and let it hang out a little bit. All vodka or vodka and water? I just use vodka. Okay. So for the people at home, this is is like a game changer to us all because we all (laughs) collect vintage clothing. That's actually how we all met. And so, and and Shelly actually makes vintage clothing. Lily makes it. I occasionally make it usually with the help of a lot of alcohol and swearing. Oh, there's nothing. But you never thought that vodka could help you like this. No, this is is amazing. This is, this is like the, 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 most amazing did I, did I blow I've ever your gotten. mind? You actually See, did I can't because even talk. that's yeah. how much my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, I'm very impressed by that because I'm going to try that when I get home because I have some very stubborn creases that I really want to get out and yeah. 
But for vodka's those who are oh, curious about the pie pie crust thing, like which I am now. Mm-hmm. How how is it just like you just substitute one one. all the water for the because the vodka? the alcohol is going to bake off. Mm-hmm. So that's an, if you're worried, like oh, but I have a you know I'm making the the pie for my family and there's a six year old or you know we can't give Uncle Ted anything otherwise he goes woo you know don't worry the alcohol does bake <laughs> off Ted. so you don't have to worry about then presenting a boozy dessert right, but right. it's because the fact that it can it can get much colder than ice water can it just helps to keep that fat in more of a solid state which then leads to a flakier pie crust mm-hmm. so that's the secret there but also um like you know if you've ever made a vodka sauce mm-hmm. You know, the vodka is kind of a critical key component for that. So I always keep a bottle of vodka in the in the freezer because you never know. It, it's great. But then also, too, one of the nice things about vodka is because it's such a neutral spirit, if you're having company over or you just kind of feel like, oh, I want just a, a nice little cocktail, you can mix it with almost anything. And as long as you like the taste of what you're mixing – it's, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to get then that little mm-hmm. bit of booziness. Um, you know, a lot of times when we think about vodka drinks, we do tend to think about things that have very similar flavor profiles to, even though this is a neutral spirit, some of the things we talked about, fruit, uh, you know, black pepper, you know, things like that. So we do tend to um, get more appreciation out of drinks where it's like you take vodka and you mix it with a fruit juice or you take vodka and you mix it with um, like a tonic or, or something like that that will kind of, again, those, those flavors really play well together. Um, it does great in a Moscow Mule because no matter what you put in a Moscow Mule, you're going to get a ginger punch to the head. Mm-hmm. That's just that's the nature of ginger beer. And by using something like vodka, then you don't have to worry. The vodka is not there for, for show. It's really just there to, to provide that boozy punch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Awesome. Vodka. Any last final words or comments about no, the No, I'm just going to the finish these two shot glasses and then. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Drinking up. <laughs> To find out more about what we drank this week, check our show notes. And to drink along with us next time, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to get your menu. Cheers! <laughs>